So one of the, the things that I love the most about being a priest is the questions. I love to sit with folks and explore the important questions of their lives. Those, those questions that arrive out of grief and sorrow or, or joy and celebration. These are some of the most important questions of our lives. Those questions about, about, God, about God and about the Bible and about faith, about how we are to live and what we are to do, these are the issues that touch on what it means to be a human being and how we are to relate to ultimate reality. So much of our lives are dedicated to ultimately irrelevant preoccupations. But when we ask the big questions, we get a glimpse into the true depth of our lives. And I'm here for it, because our questions are important. They define the limits and boundaries of our lives and our imaginations. Questions allow us to explore what is possible. They enable our capacity to dream. And so trying to ask the right questions is one of the most important tasks of a life well lived. Now, in my professional experience, there are no bad questions, but there are better questions and worse questions. <laughs> and one of the gifts of today's gospel reading is that this lawyer asks a great question. This lawyer, this, this scholar of the Mosaic Law, is indeed asking a profound question, even if his motives are not sincere. For we are told that the lawyer is testing Jesus. But nevertheless, I would say to you that his question is a deeply important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, my guess is that to our ears, we hear the lawyer asking about how he can arrange for a good outcome after he dies. But his question is so much bigger than that. It has more to do with how he is to live his life in the here and now. He's asking how his life can reflect the divine will and even the divine life. His quest to inherit eternal life is about bringing his life into conformity with the life of God in order to discover the true joy of a life that is at one with God's own being. And so the lawyer is asking a big question, the kind of question that is a bundle of all sorts of questions about meaning and about purpose and about happiness. And interestingly, Jesus responds to the lawyer's question with a question of his own. He asks, what is written in the law? What do you read there? Jesus invites the lawyer to turn back to his resources, to go with what he knows. Jesus invites the lawyer to interpret scripture and the law in relation to his own question. And what the lawyer offers in response is the so-called great commandment. In short, love God with everything that you are, with your whole being, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
This was a common summation of the law in Jesus' time. Many rabbis derive this summation of the law from the Hebrew scriptures. And obviously, Jesus agrees with them because Jesus basically says, yeah, that's right, go and do that. But it's not enough for the lawyer. Looking to justify himself, he asks, and who is my neighbor? And I've always wondered about the lawyer's intentions here. What is he trying to justify? Is he asking out of a sense of shame? Or is it a sense of callousness? Is he trying to ask a gotcha question? Is he trying to trip Jesus up? Or is he he merely just trying to justify asking his own original question? But in any case, look what what the lawyer's question does. By asking who qualifies as a neighbor, the lawyer's question draws boundaries about who is worthy of concern and care and love, and therefore is also trying to discern who is not worth care and love. In this context, in this context of the command to love one's neighbor as, lo- as you love oneself, Asking the question, who is my neighbor, is a way of trying to define who am I obligated to notice? Who am I obligated to respect? Of whom am I responsible? And let's admit, this is a real question. This is a question that we ask ourselves all the time. Is this not our plight as we worry about caring for those in need in our community and in our nation and even in the world? In Santa Monica, we might wonder if the homeless count as our neighbors, or if those who work in our city but live elsewhere count as our neighbors. Should they have a say in our public policy? Are their opinions worthy of our concern? And is this not the question that arises when it comes to our thinking about the appropriate care or concern for immigrants and refugees? Are they our neighbors? What do we owe them? How do we, how do we go about understanding and responding to their needs? Should our response be different from the response that we, that we would show to American citizens? And if so, why? And if not, why not? I think this sort of question about who counts as my neighbor goes a long way to explaining some of the callousness that some in our society show toward the deplorable conditions in our immigration detention camps. It allows some to justify the conditions of those camps because some believe that these immigrants are not truly our neighbor and therefore not worth our care and our concern. Maybe in response to the lawyer's question, we, we might expect Jesus to say, that, well, everyone is our neighbor, that every human being is created in the image and likeness of God, and as such, we cannot draw boundaries that divide humanity into two different camps, neighbor and not neighbor. I preached about something like this a few weeks back. But with that said, 
it's worth paying attention that this is not what Jesus does, at least not directly. Instead, Jesus tells this beloved story about a man attacked on the road and about another man who helps him. Now, of course, before he gets to the man who helps, there are the two religious officials who who frankly do know better, but who ignore the man in need. You sometimes hear that the priest and the Levite are worried about touching a dead body with the fear that they will become ritually unclean. But that is not what's happening here. To be truly faithful to the law, care for someone who had been attacked would take, would take precedence over ritual purity. These two men are not exercising concern for the law. This is just good old-fashioned hypocrisy. Now, that religious officials would be hypocrites does not surprise listeners. It does not surprise folks then, and it certainly doesn't surprise folks now, does it? But what is surprising to those first listeners, but regrettably not so much to us, is that it is a hated enemy who helps. To a Jewish audience of that time, the Samaritans are both heretics and betrayers rolled into one. And so to get in the right mind state, I want to invite you to take a moment And I want you to think of your least favorite group of people out there in the world. Now, if Jesus was going to tell this story to you, then that's the group that he would use as an example to tell this story to you. But then notice, notice what Jesus does with this story. Jesus does not say, See, look, the hated Samaritan is your neighbor and therefore worthy of your concern. No. Instead, Jesus tells this story to then ask a new question, and indeed a better question. Jesus asks the lawyer, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? To which the lawyer can only respond, the one who showed mercy. And of course, Jesus' response is, go and do likewise. Jesus changes the question to ask a deeper and more important question. Jesus asks the better question. Our care and concern is not about drawing boundaries, but about responding to the genuine need of others. To live in God's ways, which is to inherit eternal life, means we are not supposed to ask, who is our neighbor? But rather, the more important question, how can I be a neighbor to them? How can I be a neighbor to others, especially others in need? When we ask, who is my neighbor, then we are already asking a question that is ultimately about self-justification. We're looking to figure out who we are obligated to care for and therefore who I can justifiably ignore. It is a question intended to justify ourselves in our own eyes or even in God's eyes. But when we ask, how can I be a neighbor to others? then we lay that self-justification aside. 
This is a question that is intended to open us up in love to others and thus to God. To ask, how can I be a neighbor is to open ourselves up to eternal life. Here is a question that invites us to live, to truly live into the great commandment that we are to love God with our whole being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Not who is my neighbor, but how can I be a neighbor to others, especially to those in need? When we ask this question, we turn the world on its head. We do not worry about the boundaries that look to delineate and define, but instead see others for who they are, beloved children of God. When we ask, how can I be a neighbor to others, then we open up ourselves to the abundance of God's love. How can we be neighbors to others? This, this is a great question. Amen.